Welcome back to the Passive Real Estate Investor Podcast. Today, we are going to do a primer on the investment thesis. Now, I've been speaking a lot about investment thesis and just including it in the topics that I present, but I thought it would be helpful to go through what an investment thesis is related to passive real estate investing, because really what an investment thesis does for you is outline what you believe are going to be the best investments from a real estate perspective, the best geographies from a real estate perspective, and the economies or markets that are going to perform the best in a given time. And an investment thesis really acts as a guide for you. It acts as your compass so that you don't get sidetracked into deals that you might not want to do. For example, if you were not thinking that apartments in certain markets were going to do well, and then an apartment deal got presented to you, you may think that the apartment was attractive on the front end, but as part of your investment thesis, you've made the determination that you didn't want to invest in apartments in that particular market. And so really what it does is it gives you a guideline to say, okay, this may look like an attractive investment, but this is not a market I'm focused on and this is not a property type in that market that I'm focused on. Now, it may guide your thinking for the future. You may say, well, okay, I wasn't thinking about apartments in this market, but this market is growing very fast. This is an operator that knows this market very well, that knows this asset very well, And then over time, it may be assets and geographies that you start to incorporate in your investment thesis because it is a live document. Your investment thesis can change, but generally there are outlines for an investment thesis. And I like to think that my investment thesis lasts for three to seven years. In truth, my investment thesis probably changes every year. And I probably add geographies in there. I don't add asset types as much but I do track a certain number of asset types and I do track a number of core markets, but I also try to get exposure to other markets. Now, as you know, Guardrail Finance is a commercial real estate financial intermediary. We're also a real estate investment company. And now we are providing education for uh, individuals and companies that may have interest in getting exposure to real estate, both on a passive basis and also on a direct basis. And while many of you may have known me and the team for years, maybe even decades, uh, we have mostly conducted business in the traditional offline sense rather than online. And with a podcast, I know right now it's one of these mediums that everybody seems to be doing, but it is an easy way to access a lot of people in one place so that you can hear and learn about different types of things, whether it's real estate, whether it's finance, whether it's economics, whether it's history. Podcasts are just very interesting right now. And I know a lot of people do this uh, and they do different types of podcasts, but I'm really hoping that our podcast provides you with a lot of information and being specifically geared towards passive real estate investing. I think that's a big differentiator for us. I have been extremely successful on the direct investing side. I've also been very successful investing with other sponsors, both friends and family, 
people who I just co-invest with, and I may do some of the functions on that basis. But I've also been very successful investing with other sponsors who I've researched and who I do research on not only the market and the asset, but also the sponsor. And now I believe that is a very valuable way to invest for passive real estate investors because what happens is you get exposure to other sponsors, other markets, other asset types, and it helps you focus on what your core functions are for work while still giving you exposure to deals. And so if you have traditional IRAs that are idling and you can move those into a self-directed IRA with some of my favorite companies like New Direction IRA or the Entrust Group, if you move to those types of folks with your self-directed IRAs, you can really supercharge your retirement accounts by getting cash flow. And then when there's a sale and you get profit, then what happens is you can reinvest those funds into other deals on a tax deferred basis. And if it's with a Roth IRA, I mean, it can be, it would be on a tax free basis because you've already paid the taxes on that vehicle. What I want to do is be able to provide you with education. And since I keep talking about investment thesis, without really thinking, I'm making the assumption that you know what an investment thesis is, I think that was the incorrect thing for me to do. And so I really wanted to take this time to go through an investment thesis and also walk through how I look at it, because I'm hoping that that will be beneficial for you as you go forward in your passive real estate investing. And with the way that I look at things, both as an investor and also as a financial intermediary, I see access to what's going on with deals. I see what's going on in the financing world. Now that we're providing these education with our website, our email marketing, our social media channels, our Passive Real Estate Investor Wealth Club, and now the Passive Real Estate Investor Podcast, I have access to a number of professionals in the real estate markets. And with my experience, with my knowledge, with the investments that I've made, I want to be able to pass that on to you as well and be able to save you from some of the pitfalls that I had to endure during my real estate investments and make sure you don't make the same mistakes. I also started out really trying to be a jack of all trades and doing everything under the sun. I wanted to invest in notes. I wanted to make mortgages. I wanted to invest in single family residential. I wanted to invest in condos. I wanted to invest in apartments. I wanted to invest in commercial. And I've done all that now. And there are specific uh, asset types that I like better. And so most of my data some of it comes from gut feel and experience, but the majority of it really comes from research. And so I create my hypothesis on what I'm looking for in the market, and I try and predict what is happening in the world that is going to give us the strength in that market. And a lot of it really boils down to some simple things. But before we get into that, let's talk about 2020, 2021, because those were tumultuous years. We were in the middle of a pandemic in both 2020 and 2021. Our markets continually were starting and stopping. 
we were having mask mandates, we were having store closures, we were having school closures, we were having no travel. It, it, it has been a very trying time for individuals, for families, and even for investors. It has been tough to determine what the best investments are to make. And so the U.S. you know, officially entered recession in February of 2020 which really ended that longest expansion in the country's history, but it was all due to coronavirus. It has been challenging for a number of people where it's wreaked havoc on the health, life, safety, the jobs markets, the overall economy, personal wealth, mental health, you know, and really also on the real estate industry. It's been particularly challenging for the office markets and for hospitality. And in some markets, I mean, I have clients in San Francisco who went from 100% occupancy to 30% occupancy. Multifamily, same thing in San Francisco. We had drops that would drop into the, the 30s and 40s from an occupancy standpoint with so many people moving out of downtowns and trying to get more space and uh, being able to go other places where they might not be as imp impacted by coronavirus, and they could also lower their costs. In 2021, we really saw things continue. You know, the pandemic, while we were getting our arms around it, understanding it better, things were really remaining the same. But from an investment standpoint, 2021 started getting more exciting. As people started getting their arms around the pandemic, large investors, both domestic and international, continued to invest in the U.S. in particular. And many of them increased their allocations to the U.S. markets, especially now that the, especially since the U.S. presidential election was also determined. And so that was another big thing that everyone was going through, the divide in the U.S. and all the issues related to politics. What we were seeing is that investors were altering their geographies and asset types that they were investing in, but a lot of the large players were remaining active. What we're seeing is that there's still a huge amount of cash and capital sloshing around in the market. It is also that people are getting more particular. Investment houses, funds, they're getting more particular about what they invest in, and they're being more careful. With an investment thesis, what we see is that a lot of times these are generalizations. As I said, you start with your hypothesis. And then you support that with data. And sometimes it changes. One of the things I was looking to do was to add hotels to my investment thesis this year. But I don't understand the hotel market enough. I am an investor in one hotel. And that market that I'm in has been doing well. But it's a small hotel that we own all cash. And I'm a very small investor. My partners are very strong. And we have no debt on the property. So effectively, we are just managing this for occupancy and to, to ensure that we can cover the operating expenses and overhead of the hotel. The data was not convincing enough to me that I should be jumping into the hotel market. So that was removed off of my investment thesis, even though I started 2022 thinking hotels might be a, a good investment for me. And it might be a good exposure to another type of asset. It's not one that I'm willing to make right now. If I would have just picked hotels, 
I would have been making this assumption and generalization, but that's not a good way to approach investing or the investment market. There are asset types and geographies that I like and that I'm focused on that we can showcase, but no two deals are the same. No asset type can be specifically applied across the board. If I was talking about apartments in a third tier market in Kansas to pick a state versus a, an apartment complex in San Francisco, you can't compare the two. San Francisco is having a lot of pain right now, even on the apartment side. While rents in the last quarter have been ticking up, there's still a lot of vacancy. A third tier market in Kansas, I just don't know the market and I don't understand the drivers in the economy. And so I'm not going to invest in that, but I'm not going to invest in San Francisco apartments right now either. And so that's not on my investment list. But what you have to do is look at data and then you have to understand for yourself where you should be investing. And sometimes you will make gut gut feels and say, okay, this might be the timing to come back into San Francisco because it's starting to ramp back up. And I believe San Francisco will remain a gateway city into the future. And so then you make a judgment call based on the data, based on the trends, based on what's happening. And you use the data plus your information and your hypothesis to create the investments that you're going to be making. Now, with geographies, there are ge geographic regions as well that I like a lot. And that doesn't always mean that the submarket within that geographic region can be painted with the same brush. And a case in point, again, is, you know, let's use the San Francisco Bay Area. While San Francisco right now might be having vacancy issues, if you go out into the suburbs heading towards Walnut Creek and the East Bay, a lot of the occupancies in the suburban markets that were kind of second and third tier cities before, those apartment markets have been doing phenomenally well. They haven't had collections issues. They have not had uh, the same level of distress as San Francisco. And part of that is because there's more space. Part of it is because there's more amenities around. Part of it is because it may be closer to kids' schools. But people have moved out of San Francisco and then moved out into those second tier and third tier suburbs um, and dro drove up the valuations, drove up the occupancy, and have improved those markets greatly. So in 2022, I mean, I kind of came in thinking it's a year where there is a lot of capital sloshing around. So I said 2022 is going to be the year of the passive real estate investor. And what I mean by that is you're going to be able to pick and choose the deals you want to do with which sponsors you want to do. Generally, the sponsors that I believed are going to be most active are the large, well-capitalized operators. And if you can get access to those well-capitalized, large operators, I believe the majority of them have the staying power in a market like this. They can access the debt markets and the lenders. This is also, so this is the year of the passive real estate investor, the year of the large, well-capitalized operator, and the year of the lender in my mind. And it's really for the same reason for all three. Everybody has a choice. The lenders this year are not trying to do every single deal. The lenders are trying to do the best in class deals that fit their box. And so for a lot of these large deals that are very interesting in these markets where there's upside potential, 
the lenders are choosing the to do loans with the best sponsors, with the best assets they can find, and the best geographies that they can find. The large, well-capitalized operators have a lot of cash. They have a lot of investors. They have a lot of access to lenders. They have a lot of tenants. They have the ability to continue on. And if they're buying assets at a better basis, which hasn't necessarily happened yet, we haven't seen cap rates increase, we haven't seen uh, price per square foot go down, but we have seen a few opportunities. I've seen a number of deals that have crossed that are well below replacement cost, that are well below the cost to build a new property, or even lower than some of the comps for sales in that market. As a passive real estate investor, we also have the optionality to say, okay, the smaller operators who I know are not active in the market right now, but the large sponsor who knows a particular market, they're still in the market. And so you can make decisions about whether you want to co-invest with that group. And before you do that, though, you need to look at the factors that kind of drive these decisions. How is the overall economy doing? How is the economy of that city doing that you're looking to invest in? For the U.S., how is the U.S. manufacturing? In December of 2020, the PMI was 56.5. It jumped up to 60.7 in May of 2021. And now as of today, in May of 2022, we're at 55.4. This is all indications of how people were feeling about the market. So in December of 2020, people were not as bullish on the U.S manufacturing market. Then it started increasing in May 2021 as things were ramping up, as the supply chain was starting to get back on track and people needed to produce more goods. And now it's dropped again. And I think a big factor in May of 2022 is you've still got the pandemic going on, but now we've got a, a war in Russia and Ukraine that is affecting things as well. And so the, the sentiment is not as high. The other thing you want to look at are jobs. Are jobs being created in the U.S. overall? And right now I'm making the assumption that we are mostly U.S. passive real estate investors. So are the jobs in the U.S., are the jobs being created overall? In the state that you're looking at, are jobs being created? In the city or the submarket that you're looking at, are jobs being created? What types of jobs? Are they jobs that can be replaced in the future with robots, with artificial intelligence? Or are they jobs that are sustainable, that are going to last for some amount of time? How's the unemployment rate? The U.S. currently is sitting in May of 2022 at 7.1% unemployment rate. It was 368 in 2019. So not quite double, but almost double. And if you really look at the national unemployment rate, there's currently about 5.7 million individuals that are looking for a job but are considered unemployed. And they are not part of the official unemployment figures. So does that mean that our unemployment rate is actually higher than 7.1%? It probably does. And this has been the problem with with data and the U.S. Census Bureau is that it's a little misleading because we're, we're taking people out of the job market or out of the statistics who probably should be there. Normally, I like to talk about, you know, the diversification factors being asset types, geography, 
and sponsor. But today, with those economic factors, what I look at first is geography. And I use those economic figures I was just talking about, the economy, the jobs creation, the in-migration to different states, the unemployment rate in different areas. Uh, even I'm looking at COVID cases. Are some markets doing better than others? That's a new one that I've added. Um, I look at city data. City data is a online service that really breaks down uh, the crime statistics, the demographics of a certain market. So before I make an offer on a property, I will always look at the city data to see if it's somewhere where I want to invest, if it's somewhere that, if it's a sub-market that I think is worthy of our investment dollars. Um, because the last thing I want to do is make, make a deal that's not going to be money good or that I can't see a pathway to being money good on. And then the other thing we're looking at are interest rates, right? And so interest rates right now are the highest level since late of 2018. As of today, the 10-year U.S. Treasury which is what we use a lot as an index in commercial real estate, is now sitting at 3.19. And I can tell you, uh, all in 2020 and 2021, I was doing deals for clients that were in the high twos to low threes. So already now we're at an index that's higher than what we were, what we were locking our interest rates at. So those economic factors drive me to look at geography first. And so I'll look at where the jobs being created. And right now I'm, I'm seeing a lot of jobs that are being created in the Southeast, the Southwest. So the smile states are getting a lot of, a lot of jobs right now. Um, and so I'm using those markets to really look at where I should be investing. There's also some markets in the Northwest, um, particularly I'm actually a big fan of Oregon. I really like Idaho. I like Utah. I like Colorado. So those those four states are seeing some job growth as well. I use that to drive my decisions. If I say, okay, well, I have a couple assets in Colorado. I have an asset in Idaho. I have you know five assets in Oregon, or I have some investments there. You can you can start picking and choosing which ones that that might be areas that you want to continue looking at. So I look at geography and I say, okay, out of the markets that I'm tracking right now, which markets are the markets that I should be heavily focused on? If a deal crosses my desk, where should I be focused? And so I try and narrow down the, the sub-markets that I am going to be investing in. Then I look at asset type as well. And I use a lot of data with asset types. I'm constantly reading, but great sites for for asset types really are the big brokerage houses. So I read a lot of the CBRE national reports as well as some of the local reports. Marcus and Millichap has some fantastic reports as well. And the CEO, Najee, is very good with um, doing a lot of presentations online um, and doing discussions about the different markets and different asset types and what their research is finding. Uh, I also look at JLL uh, and I also spend a lot of time on some of the finance sites. So in addition to looking at the material that we're trying to create and the research we're doing as well, um, I'm looking at StackSource, 
uh, for financing, which is who I've partnered with through Guardrail to provide financing options. I'm also spending a lot of time. I do uh, like the Willie Walker uh, webcast. And so I watched the Walker and Dunlop webcast with Willie Walker because I think he does a very good job and he brings on some very interesting folks. Then with the asset types, after doing a lot of that research, I try and spend my time looking at what the investment outlook is for, for those markets. Where is the big money moving? Where are the funds moving? Where are the pension funds going? What types of products are they looking to invest in? And I also think long term, what's happening in the world we've got an aging society and so i strongly believe that medical office life science are going to be big drivers into the future i also believe that with the way the world is going from a shopping perspective i believe industrial of all sorts is going to continue to do well last mile industrial distribution warehouses also for small business, because I do believe that there are many of the small businesses that can use industrial or small warehouse space are going to continue to invest in industrial because you can't really do that out of your garage, especially as you start growing. So I, I believe those are markets right now that are going to continue to do well. Personally, I also do believe that multifamily and some of the derivatives of multifamily are going to continue to do well as uh, also in certain markets because it's getting more expensive to, to buy homes. Many of the governments are making restrictive programs and making it more difficult for home builders to build or it's driving down their returns, which in turn is making them pause on development. And so I think multifamily, senior housings in some markets and uh, also nursing homes, dementia, uh, Alzheimer's, assisted living, senior living, those projects are going to do well. If you start looking at these different asset types, then you ask your questions about retail. Is what kind of retail is going to thrive in, in the new world? What is office going to look like? With Corona, office has been a big talking point. I don't think the office is dead because I still believe that people want to get together. I believe they want to socialize. I believe they want to brainstorm. Uh, but is office going to look different going forward? It may. Um, I just don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I'm not anti-office like a number of people. I am just knowing there's going to be change. I'm not knowing what that's going to look like yet. Other markets that you know you may want to look at too, hospitality. A lot of people really like hospitality right now because it's been so beaten up. There could be some opportunity. I'm personally not looking at it, but it is something that I may look at in the future. I just want to see that there's some real fundamental changes in the way that governments look at travel and hospitality uh, and also Corona. Uh, now that so many people are getting their arms around Corona, so many of the medical establishments understand it better. I'd like to, I'd like to look at hospitality down the road, but it's, it's not there for me yet. Other markets that people look at are kind of offshoots of industrial, like self-storage or marina space uh, or boatyard space. That is a, a market that has been very, very strong. Uh, a lot of people are using their self-storage and the utilization is, is quite high. When you're talking about all of this with your investment thesis, the other thing to look at is the sponsor. 
So I always talk about asset type. I always talk about geography. But a sponsor is a big part of the investment thesis as well. Which sponsors do you believe are going to be best able to handle a downturn? Best able to handle uh, the debt markets? Which ones are going to be able to get the tenants in place? And it depends on the asset. I mean, if you're buying an asset in Manhattan or Chicago, you may want a specific type of sponsor. If you're buying a an apartment complex that's a 50 to 100 unit apartment complex in a suburb of a growing market, then your sponsor doesn't have to be as large. You can have a small to mid-sized sponsor that is going to be very effective at dealing with that type of property. As long as they have good management in place, they have some experience, they have access to the debt markets, that is not going to be something, in my opinion, that is going to make that sponsor uh, look lesser in my eyes. Big sponsors are not always the best sponsors. A lot of small and mid-sized sponsors are very good, but that goes into your investment thesis as well. So you really want to be looking at the economics of everything. You want to be looking at research related to the asset types that are going to be performing the best based on your thoughts, based on what you think is happening in the world. And then focusing on the geographies where there is job growth, where there's in-migration, where there's some essence that there's going to be that these cities are going to sustain or that these submarkets, these suburbs are going to be sustainable for the future. And then lastly, also looking at the sponsors. And so this is what goes into an investment thesis. This is how you look at the world from a real estate investing standpoint. And that's how you get access to good deals, because then you are guiding yourself down a path of what types of assets you should be looking at. And then you're not spending time on other deals that cross your desk. And in some cases, maybe that means you're doing one deal a year, two deals a year, three deals a year. And then over time, you may be doing more. And so that's why an investment thesis is important because what you want to do is have your money grow. And the best way to have your cash flow and your net worth grow is by doing good deals with good sponsors in good markets where you have good in-place cash flow with upside potential so that you can reap the rewards and profit long-term. So as always, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. The Passive Real Estate Investor Podcast is an educational podcast. It is not offering any advice. I do not know your particular situation, and I am not an advisor on the finance side. We are not attorneys. We are not CPAs. We are here to provide education and to showcase different ideas, strategies, and opportunities that can help you grow your passive cash flow and increase your net worth.